You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. We know, uh, according to the Surgeon General, not too long ago, he declared that there was an epidemic, an epidemic of anxiety and depression. Uh, He equated it with the physical... um, ramifications of smoking 15 cigarettes a day and not getting enough sleep. Many of you know what it feels like to be plagued by anxious thoughts. There are those of you in this place who know what it is to be locked in a prison that has invisible bars. And sometimes when it comes to subjects like this, you may have heard some just to say, you know, cheer up, everything's okay, it's gonna get better, only to find yourself frustrated when you're still hurting and trying to figure out what to do next. We're also gonna talk about something that, quite honestly, is gonna be painful. Peter's gonna talk to us about pride and humility. And so when it comes to those things, if you're honest with yourself, you're gonna find that there's a whole lot more pride in us than we realized and that we are absolutely powerless to do anything about it. So what are those who are consumed with pride to do? What are those who are anxious to do? As Peter writes, we know that Peter's familiar with having issues with pride. This is the same Peter who can, in one breath, tell tell Jesus that you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and then in the next breath, turn and say, Jesus, you're not really doing this the right way. We need you to fix this. You're not going to suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests. We're, we're going to do this a different way. This same Peter, who was the guy who would say, you know what? If everybody else denies you, everybody else falls away, I'm not going to. I, I'm different than everybody else. I'm stronger than everybody else. And when everybody else loses their resolve, Jesus, I'm going to still be there only to find himself staring and sharing a glance with his king as his condemnation comes through the voice of an animal. Same Peter struggling with pride, the fear of man as these guests from Jerusalem come down to Galatia so that Paul has to publicly oppose him to his face. Peter is acquainted with pride issues. Peter is acquainted with anxiety issues. The disciples would see Jesus feed multitudes and then they would be in a boat and realize we don't have any bread and get very, very afraid and anxious for what they are supposed to do only to be reminded of who Jesus is. You see, when it comes to these matters, as Peter walks us through this, he's going to talk to us about being humble. And humbling ourselves, he's going to talk about this mighty hand of God. He's going to talk to us about these things. And these things are so very, very practical. For any of us who have lived much life, you know what those moments when pride seems to creep in. We know that pride goes before a fall. We know that we want to fight it. And so we switch it around a little bit and we like to do humble brags, right? Let me tell you how I became the most humble person in the world. Here's five easy steps, right? We, we, we get to that place to where we feel like in, in selfish condemnation, we look in our self-righteousness and say, boy, Lord, I'm so glad that I'm not like that one. That's a mess, 
We, we get to those places where we see it lurking in us, and it is the poison that our first parents partook in, revealing an insidious desire to be God. Pride is the thing that causes angels and mankind to fall. Pride is the thing that, as we will see in God, even opposes. And pride and humility are those things that we must contend with. And how do we fit anxiety into all these things? Well, let's get into the text this morning. First Peter chapter 5, um, beginning in verse number 5. Would you stand with me that we might honor the reading of God's word this morning? The Bible says this, likewise, you who are younger, if you're not certain about that, you can ask someone around you, they'll help you with that. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because, wonder of wonders, he cares for you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So as we walk through this, Peter wants us to understand, and he's been talking about what it looks like for elders, how they are to serve in Christ's church. And so he talks about the way that we should submit to one another. And he talks about the way within the people of God that there should be a mutual submission and love for one another. When it comes to understanding what it looks like to belong to Jesus, he says, I want you to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Now, Humility is one of those things that sometimes we have a little bit of difficulty with. What, what, is, what does humility really mean? So humility speaks of an attitude which puts others first, which thinks of the desires, needs, and ideas of others as more worthy and needing more attention than our own desires. And so when Peter says, listen, I, I want you to clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Humility is Christian clothes. It's kingdom clothes. Now, Peter's familiar because he heard this early on. In the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus opens up these Beatitudes, he starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. A humble dependence upon grace. The recognition that the pursuit of God's kingdom is not through the aggressive running over of every obstacle and every person in our way, but instead, the way of the kingdom is that true greatness is actually in lowliness. That he who wants to be first is supposed to be last. That he calls us to be meek and seek the good of others. Peter is acquainted with the reality that Jesus uh, said over and over as he would talk about this story of a, a publican and a Pharisee going to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee would say, I'm really glad that I'm not like him and I'm doing this and I'm doing this. But the tax collector, he wouldn't even look toward heaven and he said, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus reminds them, I want you to understand he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
He gave another story about a wedding feast. The same thing, that those who would seek the head of the table to say, this is my spot. I, I'm supposed to be here. And Jesus said, no, you wait. And I, and I want you to understand that you need to take the lowest spot. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. As Peter writes these things, sometimes when it comes to the way we look at Scripture, we take it apart and we forget that these are the things that Jesus has been saying for a long time. Because he said it not only in his earthly ministry, but he said it in the Older Testament as well. These quotes Peter will employ from Proverbs, these partial quotes from Psalm 55, all of these things coming together and the idea of clothing ourselves, all of us, with humility. It's a translation of the idea of a servant's apron. It's the idea of the servant being able to gird the loose pieces of clothing and bind them up so that they can serve more effectively. It's the same action that Peter mentioned in chapter 1, verse 13, when he said, um, when we're supposed to guard our minds, literally it means gird the loins of your mind, right? Great metaphor. It's the same kind of picture, and it is a slave's apron, which would gather up the loose outer garments. Now, Peter knew what this was like. He remembered that last supper as Jesus stooped and he took the towel and the basin and he washed the feet. Not only of his disciples, but he washed the feet even of his betrayer. You see, as Peter walks us through and wants us to think of how we clothe ourselves, all of us, with humility, there must have been all of these things racing through his mind. Jesus, the Holy One, is the humble one. Philippians 2 tells us that he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Jesus, the high King of heaven, Taking a low spot. Jesus, I, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. This picture of humility, this is the close of the kingdom. This is the way of Jesus. Come to me. I am gentle and lowly. Take my yoke upon you. He, he wants us to understand when it comes to this idea, we're supposed to be humble toward one another. And this would have been a completely countercultural idea in this Greco-Roman world. The idea of this word being used would have brought to mind all of those who were slaves. And as Peter says, I, I want each of you to take the slave's apron. And I want you to see yourself as less than others, would have been a startling thing for many to hear. That same Philippians 2 tells us, though, we're not supposed to do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, we're supposed to consider others more significant than ourselves. We're not supposed to look just to our own interests. We're supposed to look also to the interests of others. So when Peter says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility... It's not always the experience that we have when it comes to the people of God. When it comes to the way that we live, often it is more about this self-satisfaction, making sure that I get what I want, what 
I desire. Instead of clothing myself with humility and thinking of others, their needs, their thoughts, their desires, instead of taking the lowest place, I'm going to seek the comfortable place, the best spot. I want to make sure that I get everything that's coming to me. Kingdom clothes look different. Humility looks different. And I don't know about you, but I never got dressed on accident. I never got dressed on accident. When he says, clothe yourselves, there is a participation that we should employ. If we are going to be gentle and lowly and humble and think of others, there's some work to be done. And so he walks it out with us and he says, listen, I want you to understand, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Then he brings out something that is absolutely startling to me. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's a military term. It's, it's to draw up battle lines. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to fight God. I know how that battle's going to go. But pride is the thing that God actively opposes, and it calls the armies of heaven in opposition. God opposes the proud. You say, okay, so let's talk about this pride thing. What, what, are, what, what are we supposed to understand about this? Well, here's a few things. When it comes down to our pride, it's about forgetting who we are and who God is. One of the Puritans, um, John Flavel, said it this way. Someone who knows God and knows themselves will have no trouble being humble. Someone who knows God and knows themselves will have no trouble being humble. Let me put it to you this way. When it comes to the way that you know, we gather and we think of this community of faith, this family of missionary servants, Sometimes, depending on where you grew up, we have this tendency to think that our, our job is to come in and pretend that everything's fine, that we have no problems, everybody's getting plenty of sleep, there's plenty of money, relationships are good, even your insurance isn't driving you crazy. And, and, and the Chick-fil-A line always moves fast, and we come in and we just smile, we're like, how you doing? I'm fine. When you know good and well that you just got out of the car in a huff, that you would just as soon take one of those children and throw them out of the house by the afternoon when you know that there are struggles and you are struggling in your marriage, you're struggling in your job, you're struggling to figure out your purpose, you're struggling in all these things. And sometimes we come together and we go, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Better than I deserve. <laughs> yes, any better than I'd be twins. That's one that I always get entertained by, Right? We, we think that somehow when it comes to this, we're supposed to present ourselves as self-sufficient and self-reliant. I want you to know, I am a broken, weak, needy servant. When I pray before sermons, I, I want you to know it's a place for me to check my own heart. Those are not simply words that are wrote, that is a habit that is formed just to say. Those are places for me to be reminded. If I don't have any air in my lungs, that's because it's Jesus. 
The air in my lungs comes from Jesus. My lungs come from Jesus. My eyes come from Jesus. My ability to read comes from Jesus. My ability to think comes from Jesus. I don't have anything that is my own. So to be self-sufficient and self-reliant, how arrogant and prideful. The truth is, as I told somebody this morning, I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and the work of the Spirit. And when it comes to the way that pride works, it says, no, you, you got it. You just figure it out. God is only there when you need him. Guess how many times I need him? All the time. In him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17 says. I, I fear that sometimes this prayerless approach that we take to life is more like, I'm going to use all my common sense, all my experience. I'm going to put together a plan, and then I'll call God in and say, all right, I, this is what I'm doing. Your job is to bless it. Instead of saying, oh, God, all that I have has come from you. What would you have me to do? Is this wise, God-honoring? Is this in obedience with your word and its principles? Is this something, oh, God, that you are leading me to do? This self-sufficiency and self-reliance. It's pride. Pride considers itself above instruction. No, 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 I got all that figured out, right? My son and I, we like to do projects together. And we love power tools, right? <laughs> and we like to do projects together and work with our hands and we'll assemble things and all this kind of stuff. And as Simeon gets older, he gets access to more of the power tools. It was a glorious day when he got that drill all by himself without dad's hands on it. It was a terrifying day for me. I still have both my eyes, praise the Lord. But it's one of those things where sometimes as we're working, even if it's something that he's new to, he'll say, no, 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 I got it. When I know good and well, he probably doesn't have it. And I can think back to when I thought I had it and I didn't have it either. And then sometimes... Depending on what discipleship path we're on, whether it's, okay, I'm going to let you make that mistake and we'll debrief later, or whether it's, I'm going to just take the authority that God's given me and say, eh -eh. either way, it's one of those places where we come back and we have to learn together. We're not above instruction. Boy, I need reminders. I, I, we, we get to this place where we're insubordinate and we rob God of the praise he deserves. We will get to that place where we will relish the accolades of man, and it's an anti-love thing. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? Love is not proud. You see, when it comes to these kingdom clothes, we've got to understand who we are. And when we think we don't have to answer to anyone, when we think that we uh, should control everything, when we think that we put people into just one or two categories, you're either with me or you're against me and evil, whether we see people who are gifted and celebrate that giftedness or see them as competition and those who might rob our attention, when we're critical of others, when we get to that place where we're longing more for the attention and respect of others. And the problem is that pride can even clothe itself as penitence and prayer. Think about that Pharisee that Jesus was talking about at the temple. He was praying, Oh God, I'm here. 
It's the hour of prayer. I'm here to pray. I'm laying this out. And I thank you so much that I am not like this tax collector. Described as, you know, someone outside of grace. In this prayer, the armies of heaven draw up because God opposes the proud. Dear ones, when it comes to this family of missionary servants, I want you to know, we're a family of missionary servants who is making progress in sanctification and holiness, but we're a messed up bunch. Praise the Lord. You don't even have to pretend. We come here because we recognize our need for grace, our need for Jesus. We want to point people to Christ and say, he's our only hope. We want to call people to follow Jesus, to love him well, and to adorn themselves with those kingdom clothes. Humility. Martin Luther said it this way, God created the world out of nothing, and as long as we are nothing, he can make something out of us. Not bad, Martin. But here's the amazing thing. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. Peter had heard Jesus say, listen, there's not a sparrow that's going to fall from the sky that I'm not aware of. He heard Jesus say, if you are evil and you know how to give your children good gifts, then how much more will my father give? He had heard these things over and over. And wonder of wonders, the high king of heaven, who completely happy, sufficient, and content within the Godhead, set his affection on poor creatures who could only rebel and be his enemies. And he condescended to them, and instead of leaving them dead in trespasses and sins, he commended his love for us in this, while we were still those sinners, Christ died for us, and he continues to love and hold us. God cares for you. This morning, if you're here and the voices inside your head are saying that you are all alone, nobody understands where you are, and nobody cares about you, I need for you to know that's not true based on the authority of God's word. God cares for you, and if you are his child, it is impossible for you to be alone. Jesus has pledged to be with you to the very end. And as we come to this place and we look at the reality that God cares for us, he tells us that we can humble ourselves. We can actively pursue taking the low seat. We can actively pursue the interest of others. We can look to others and their interests. We, we don't have to do things out of selfish ambition and get our way. We are glad to submit and celebrate the work of God and others and the gifts that he has given them. We can take the low seat. And the reality of why we can do that is because under the mighty hand of God, at the proper time, whenever that time might be, if nothing else, it will be at the end of days, God will exalt us. God will exalt us. This world is not it. This world is only a small part. 
And so as he goes into it, he says, casting all your anxieties on him. This word cast is the same word that was used when Jesus was coming, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. As they cast their cloaks on the donkey, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This idea of casting our cares, our anxieties, casting these things on God means you can deposit it with him, a once for all committal, knowing that God has concern and care for us. Now, this is one of the places where I think sometimes we miss this. I want you to know that casting our anxiety is not something you do once you are humble. It is a part of that humility. It is a part of that process of humbling ourselves. We can put ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We can trust that he is bigger than all our circumstances. We can know that he is a faithful king who will never abandon us, who will never leave us. We are glad to put ourselves there. And when it comes to this anxiety, anxiety is a contradiction to humility. Unbelief, in a sense, is an exalting of oneself against God and failing to trust God. Trust really is the opposite of pride, and our anxiety shows a lack of trust. You say, okay, hold on, John, wait just a minute. Are you telling me my anxiety is not real? Nope, not at all. Are you telling me that I'm supposed to, in the words of the poet Taylor Swift, shake it off? No, I'm not. Here's what I'm telling you. When it comes to our understanding of who we are in Christ, our identity in Christ tells us of the privileges of being his children and says that when the anxious thoughts come, when the anxious moments flood us, that we can take and cast those on to the God who has a hand so mighty that you can find comfort and peace even in the midst of difficulty. And part of walking in kingdom clothes and humility is recognizing that I am trusting that God is who he says he is. I am going to believe and trust in what he says. I believe that there is a sovereign providence. I believe there is a God who commands angels and ants, worms and worlds, that there is nothing that our God does not reign and rule over. I believe that the high king of heaven is trustworthy and good. I believe that when it comes to this place, I can cast those things upon him because he cares for me. Grace, this special kindness, this extraordinary blessing, something that God does for us and through us and in us by the power of of his spirit when it comes to this understanding of anxiety if you look in my prayer journals very much you're just going to find a little shorthand and it says m9 you'll find it over and over and over because in my anxious moments in those times when my faith is shaky in those times when it seems like the darkness is never going to dissipate in those moments where it seems like the only thing I can do is cry. 
In those moments where it seems as if anxiety has coiled around me like a straight jacket and is crushing my ability to breathe. Often you're just going to see M9. And the reason you're going to see that there is one of the most honest prayers for an anxious father is found in Mark 9. A father anxious to see that his boy was going to be okay. A father filled with anxiety, not knowing if that day his son might lose his life. This demon-possessed boy, the Bible says that when the father explained to Jesus, says it would cast him into fire and water and it would try to kill him. This father, so anxious, he could barely sleep. He could barely eat. He had to keep his eyes on him. Anytime there was water, he had to watch out. Anytime there was fire, he needed a hand on his boy. There was a desperate father filled with anxiety, trying to figure out what to do. And in coming to Jesus to try to find him, Jesus wasn't there. He had gone with the three on top of the mountain for transfiguration, and he found the other disciples who said, listen, we can help you with this. And it wasn't working, and over and over and over, and by the time Jesus comes down, there's just a melee. They begin this dialogue, and Jesus tells them, listen, all things are possible to those who believe. And the most honest prayer that I have to write in my prayer journal over and over the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. Anxiety is the opposite of trust. But I want you to know there is a God who gives grace to the humble. And to the penitent soul who says, I believe, help my unbelief. There is a mighty hand it splits seas and people walk through. It takes suicidal prophets and washes them in grace. That takes the crucifixion and turns it into a glorious resurrection and hope. For those of you who are here trapped in despair, depression, and anxiety, I want you to know there is a mighty God under whose hand you can take shelter and refuge. He is kind and patient, and in those moments when you're just having a hard time lifting the anxiety, much less casting it on him, you can pray, I believe, help my unbelief. You can trust that he is good. You say, okay, John, what, what do I do? That's the first thing is you need to trust that he really does care for you. Take Jesus at his word. Believe that it is true. When the lies come in and you hear, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, nobody's going to miss you if you're gone, I need you to stand on the truth of Scripture and say, that is not true, that is a lie. But I know the truth and I know it will set me free. There is a king who has given himself and ransomed me and reconciled me to God. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And he does care. And I can take every anxiety and I can cast it on him. And he is mighty. It doesn't even strain him to carry it. The thing that is about to crush me, it doesn't take any effort at all for the high king of heaven to carry. Trust God and believe that he cares for you. Second thing is, name what it is that makes you anxious. Say it aloud. Oh God, I am struggling. This is the thing. It is gripping my heart. These are the voices. Give it a name. Say it for what it is. 
God, I'm lonely. I'm desperate. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do next. I can't control my emotions, and it's so many, and I'm trying to get through the fog. Give it a name. Identify the ways that it comes out and expresses itself. We need each other, and in this family, we need to know, hey, I'm in this place of struggle, so that you know who to call, who to text. Identify what it looks like. Ask yourself, who is Jesus next to this fear? The disciples said, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus' answer was, storm, just be quiet. And the wind and the waves obeyed. And then he called them to faith. Read aloud the promises of Scripture. Read them aloud. If you feel like you're alone, then pick up Matthew 28 and start reading. Read that, start in verse 16. They go out there. They worshiped him, but some doubted. Read Mark 9. Hold fast to the promises of God. Read them aloud and talk with God about where you are and how you feel. Philippians says, you don't have to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the last thing I would encourage you to do is this. Go serve someone else. Redirect those energies. Instead of just sitting and letting those things consume you, get up and practice humility. Go take the towel in the basin. Find someone who is hurting. And go and serve them. See, when it comes to who we are in Christ, when the anxiety is crushing, when the anxiety is just seems like darkness, when it seems like there is no way out, I want you to know that there is a name and a Savior greater than the darkness. I want you to know that there is a king and a friend who will never leave you alone. I want you to know there is a God who cares for you, and there is nothing that his mighty hand cannot do. The hand of the Lord is not so shortened that it cannot save. Cast it, throw it, and trust that in kingdom clothes, God gives grace to the humble. That in kingdom clothes, he carries those anxieties, and he cares for you. Dear ones, what an amazing thing to know that God cares. For those of you who are here today and you're feeling mighty low and the anxiety and the depression just seems right there, I pray that you'll lift your head toward the heavens and that you will see there's a God who cares for you, that he is mighty to save, and that he can be trusted. I pray that you will look to him with the eyes of faith, place all your hope and trust on him, and that clothed with humility, you will see the high king of heaven do exactly what he said he will do. He is good, he is kind, he is wise, he rescues sinners. And when he saves us, he sustains us and keeps us. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep casting your anxieties. Keep trusting him.